As we conclude this series, The Power of Hope, I am so excited about today's message because we're taking a look at the early church in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11, actually, this church in Antioch that was going through a similar thing that we're facing right now with this pandemic. And what was amazing about this church, it's so inspiring, is that they were not allowing what was going on with them to steal their hope, to steal their joy, and to stop them from loving the way that Jesus loved them. And so this church, in the midst of all that it was facing, unleashed hope into its community. And this message today is going to conclude with a challenge to us as a church to unleash hope in our community in the midst of this pandemic. So we're in Acts chapter 11 today, and before we dive in, let me give you a little bit of context as to where we are. So so Jesus has been crucified, but instead of his followers being hopeless, they're actually full of hope. They're going around saying, this is amazing. He's alive. We've seen him. You can put your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ. And not only are they proclaiming that Jesus is Lord and Savior, but they're also loving in a radical way. They are loving people the same way that Jesus loved them, in a sacrificial, unconditional, agape sort of love. And this love that is transcending all divides, all barriers, and this proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord, this is so disruptive to the empire, that that the leaders, the religious leaders and the Roman leaders, they're furious about this because it's, it's upsetting the apple cart. And so they begin to round up Christians and persecute and kill them. And this is the context for what's happening in the early church. Now, in the midst of all this persecution, what is absolutely fascinating is as you read through the book of Acts, And as you read through the different letters that the early Christians wrote, you know, people like Paul and Peter and James, what you never once see is Christians asking the question, why? I mean, and it's such a fair question, isn't it? Why is this happening, God? I mean, why is it that the people who are putting their faith in Jesus and who are trying to spread this amazing message of the good news of God's love are the ones who are being persecuted? God, why wouldn't you protect us? Now, maybe this is because they remembered that that Jesus had been persecuted. Jesus suffered and died on a cross. Or maybe it's just that, that they remembered those last words that Jesus had shared with them when he said, in this world, you will have trouble. So maybe that was just a, a part of their reality that they already knew. But regardless, instead of asking, why is this happening? They asked an entirely different question. And that's the question that we're going to wrestle with today. We pick up the story in Acts eleven nineteen, and this is Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke and also wrote the book of Acts. This is what Luke says. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, he was the first Christian martyr, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Antioch was in modern-day Turkey, spreading the word only among Jews. So, What we see here is as persecution is spreading among the Christian community, Christianity is also spreading. But at first, it's spreading primarily in the Jewish community, which only makes sense if you think about it, because Jesus was Jewish. Just about all of his followers were Jewish. And so they were telling their Jewish friends and family members the good news of Jesus Christ. But verse 20, Luke continues. He says, some of them, however 
men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. Greeks were Gentiles. They were non-Jewish people. And it says that they were telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, Luke says, The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. In fact, this number was so many, so many people, that in verse 22, Luke says, News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So basically, this news comes back, and they're like, man, there's so many people coming to faith. We, we need a big hitter to come in. Let's, let's bring Barnabas in, and he's going to pastor this church because so many people are coming to faith. So, so Barnabas goes to Antioch. He becomes the pastor of this church, and all kinds of people are coming to faith under Barnabas's leadership. It's so much that it says in verse 25, then Barnabas went to Tarsus, to look for Saul. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. Saul was just his Jewish name. And when Barnabas found him, he brought Paul to Antioch. Now, check this out. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. So you can only imagine how dynamic, how alive, how amazing this church must have been if both Paul and Barnabas we're going to stay there for an entire year to kind of like train up all these Christians in Antioch. And then we learn something really telling in the next verse that Luke writes, first, the, the second half of 26. He says, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, if you think about the first place that people would be known as Christians, you might think, man, probably would have been Jerusalem, because after all, Jerusalem's where the whole thing started. That was like the epicenter. No, it was in Antioch. And here's a little trivia for you. How did Jesus say that the world would know that you're a Christian? How did he say the world will know that you're a disciple? He said, when you love others the same way that I have loved you. So you can only imagine what this church in Antioch must have been like. I mean, just the level of hope and joy and the love that was being expressed in that community must have just been absolutely incredible. But then the story takes a really interesting turn. Check out verse 27. Luke says, During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. Now, we hear the word famine today and we think, man, that would be terrible. But we have we cannot appreciate 2,000 years ago what those words would have meant to those folks in Antioch. The reality is this. A severe famine was catastrophic. We're talking about a life and death situation here. And it wasn't like this was a localized famine. This is a famine that went across the entire Roman world. So you're not just going down the street to the next grocery store. You know what I'm saying? You're in major trouble. A famine like this, this could wipe out an entire town. It could wipe out an entire generation. That's how serious this is. Now, Luke gives us a, a little extra detail here. He says, that this happened during the reign of Claudius. Now, I just love this little detail. This is what's so great about the Bible. See, what we know from historians outside the Bible, historians like Tacitus and Josephus, who were not Christians, 
is that Claudius reigned from 41 to 54 AD, just before the reign of the emperor Nero. And and we know, because they documented this, that there was indeed a severe famine that happened during Claudius's reign. It was significant enough that, that historians documented it. Now, why is this so cool? Well, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ is verifiable. We can look outside the Bible and we can verify the different events that happen in the Bible. And we can point back and we can say, you know what? Jesus Christ, this is not just some myth. This is not just some fairy tale story. But, but the faith that we have in Jesus, the hope that we have in Jesus is based on actual historical events. And we can trust our hope is found in Jesus and it's trustworthy. It's reliable. It's verifiable. I just think that's awesome. But back to the story. So here is this severe famine. Okay. And the church in Antioch, when they received this news, again, you know what they never ask? They never ask why. They never say, why God is this happening? I mean, is this your wrath? Are you upset with us? They never, they never ask why. Instead, the question, not why is this happening, but what can we do to help? Not why is this happening, but what can we do to help? The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So the Christians in Antioch decided, hey, we've heard that things are bad in Judea. Now, Judea is where Jerusalem was. This, this was like the epicenter of the persecution. And so, so you can imagine that those Christians there had been ostracized from their communities. They'd lost their jobs. They did not have good support networks. And so these Christians in Antioch were like, you know, we want to help. But you have to remember this. This famine is hitting Antioch as well. I mean, people are going to starve in Judea, but they're also going to starve in Antioch. Not only that, Judea is 300 miles away from Antioch. Now, that's a 15-day journey. Just to put that in context for you, so I've always wanted to go to New Zealand. It's, it's on my bucket list. The reason that I've never been to New Zealand is because it takes a full 24-hour day by plane to get there. It's just so far away. I've never been. Judea is 15 days away from Antioch. I mean, this for them is the other side of the world. They have never met these Christians and yet they want to help them. Furthermore, you got to remember the Christians in Antioch, they're Gentiles. The Christians in Judea are Jews. So Jews and Gentiles, they, they didn't associate with one another. They didn't get along well with one another. This is preposterous that these Gentile Christians would want to help these Jewish Christians. And furthermore, 2,000 years ago, this just wasn't something that would happen. You would never give without expecting to receive something in return. This this notion of charity, this this notion of, of radical generosity, it just wasn't a thing culturally. And, and so, in fact... Um, Basically, this was a sign of weakness. This was a sign of foolishness that, that you would, that you would give without trying to get something in return. 
Nobody did this 2,000 years ago. Nobody, that is, until Jesus. And Jesus comes along and he starts teaching his followers things like, you know, it's actually more blessed to give than to receive. He taught them that God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only son. That God came to pay a debt that we couldn't pay and that as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to live with that same sort of love, giving the way that God has given to us. And so what's amazing is that this church in Antioch, these are our people. I mean, they got this whole radical generosity thing going, not by asking, why is this happening? But instead by asking, what can we do to help? And that's the question for us as a church today. In the midst of this pandemic, not why is this happening, but what can we do to help? So we've taken that question to our nonprofit partners in the city. These are partners we call our compassion and justice partners. And we've said to them, what can we do to help during this pandemic? And we've encouraged them to really to dream a little bit and think, you know, if you had some extra funds right now, what would you use them for that would really help you to make a difference to those you serve? And and I got to tell you, they came up with some really, really exciting things. And we want to we wanna be able to fund these projects to unleash hope the same way that the church in Antioch did. We, we want to partner together. So let me just tell you a little bit about uh, some of these projects because they're so cool. So uh, the Carpenter Shelter of Alexandria, um, they recently renovated their shelter. And what they, what they discovered is that, that although it really looks nice, um, they would like to give their residents a little bit more autonomy in kind of like coming and going and accessing medications and different things. And, and so they have requested that if they could update some technology and some equipment, it just would allow for a more homey, more dignified experience for their residents. And so we want to come alongside them and do that. Uh, we partner with Project Belong and, um, and Project Belong is a foster care agency. And, and they said, you know, if we could do anything, what we would love to do is be able to create a network of 30 thriving churches in our area that, that were supports for foster families and, and train up those churches on, on how to support and help foster families and also empower other families to take in foster children. They, they also talked about how they would really love to be able to allow some of their staff to go through a very intensive training to become certified coaches to help foster families navigate the issue of trauma. And so many of their kids um, have, have been through very traumatic situations. And, and so we want to come alongside them and help them do that. We also partner with, with Bridges to Independence, helping uh, families that are homeless become self-sufficient. And the biggest barrier that they said that, that we would love to help them to, to knock down is, is the, the barrier of childcare. You know, it's one thing to get a job, but, but to try and find affordable childcare, that's really, really challenging. And so we want to be able to help to subsidize that and help Bridges to find more affordable childcare options. Um, and then finally, this is one that is, is so close to my heart. It's the work that Little Lights, working in D.C., and Casa Chiralagua, working in the North Alexandria community, the work that they're doing right now. And the reason that this is so personal to me is because I have three kids in virtual school. And, uh, and man, it is a real struggle. I mean, 
it's, it's tough. And, and we have great resources. My wife and I, we, you know, we're both able to be very hands-on for our kids. And I can only imagine in, in the Little Lights and the Casa communities, which are very under-resourced, how many families are, are struggling right now. And what I think is so amazing is that, is that Little Lights and Casa have opened up their program centers to, to be essentially virtual school hubs where, where kids can go. And for many of these kids, this is the only place where school is going to be able to happen for them. And, uh, and so basically, um, Casa and Little Lights have both told us that they would love to make their program centers much more conducive to, to, to learning and just creating a great environment. So we're going to do some, some really cool renovations. We're going to, we're going to do, um, some, some interior design work. We're going to be providing a whole ton of upgrades in terms of laptops. Um, we're going to be like replacing flooring that's old and just, and, you know, paint and, and doing some different things to really create environments where, where, where kids will be able to come and, and be empowered to learn and grow just, just like everybody else. So, so all of these projects we want to make happen. We want to unleash hope in our community through all of these different partners and the projects that they're, they've identified. And so the way that this is going to happen is we starting today, starting right now, Every single dollar that comes into Grace Community Church is going to go out for these hope projects. For the next seven days through the Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend, every dollar that comes in is going to go out. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask that you would be a part of this effort. You know, this is typically the time of year where we all come together in a gym. We pack 200,000 meals and we can't do that. We can't, we can't join together in person, but we can join together financially to unleash hope for our community. And, and so I want to invite you, please be a part of that. Now, I know that we're all at different places financially. And so it's not the amount that matters. It's that we are all doing something together to unleash hope to our community. So I'm going to invite you right now to go to trygrace.org slash give. You can give securely and you can give easily online, trygrace.org slash give, either through your bank or through credit card. Um, and, um, and while you're doing that, Harrison is going to play a song. Now, if you grew up in a traditional church that, that takes up an offering and passes an offering basket around, this, this is kind of like an offering. We, we don't do this at Grace, but, but we're going to do this today. And I want to give you a few minutes just, just to ask God, God, what can I do to make a difference for those in need? So one more time, go to trygrace.org slash gift. Go there right now and let's unleash hope together.